0: If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We're going to be at the end of Matthew chapter 13, verses 47. Uh, to 50 if you don't have a bible with you or you don't have a device that has your bible on it you're welcome to take one from the seat pocket in front of you Um, underneath the chairs there should be one if you don't have a bible at home or you need a new one um, they are new living translation and we would love for you to take that with you as our gift to you we have uh, boxes of them and and so again we'd love for you to have that as a gift Uh, how many in here are fishermen or like to fish we have any fishermen in here Come on, this is Ohio. I know it's more than just Steve Thurber. All right. Now, I think most of you are lying, but for the few that raise their hand, there's one thing that I found that all fishermen have in common. Everybody that likes the fish has a story, has a good fishing story. Everyone, uh, whether it's the one that got away, it's, a lot of them are completely made up. I understand that too. But it can be the one that got away, or maybe it's the one that took you uh, two hours to finally defeat and to reel into the boat. And a lot of times their their stories will be uh, accompanied by pictures, or sometimes they even have that trophy fish mounted up on the wall. Uh, My uncle, his favorite fishing story was the time that he went to cast and his hook got stuck in the back of my other uncle who was in the boat with him. And he ends the story always by saying it was the ugliest thing that he ever hooked. I don't have a lot of fishing stories. Um, I did not grow up fishing a lot. Um, I fished a few times and up until just a few years ago, the largest thing that I had ever almost caught, I didn't even catch it, was probably about that big and I got it halfway up into the boat and it fell off and went back into the water. But I had the opportunity years ago when I was visiting Argentina to go fishing in the, it's it's pronounced like Piranha, but it's not spelled the same, but it's the Piranha River uh, on the border of, I believe it's Argentina- Paraguay and Brazil and we went out and it was the it was the kind of fishing trip where you had guides in each boat and they basically did everything I mean they put the they put the bait on and they did everything and I'm sitting in the front it's a it's a beautiful day it's sunny and I'm holding the pole and honestly I am almost asleep because I remember why I don't like fishing because I'm poured out of my mind and all of a sudden I felt the pole tug And I woke up, and I grabbed it, and I yanked on it, and then I looked out, and this beautiful, huge, now I'm not making things okay about like that, I'm serious though, big fish, called a golden dorado, and they had told us before we went out that if you hook one of these fish, the first thing that it does is jump, and I looked out, and all of a sudden this huge fish just shoots straight up out of the water, and it's just, it's gorgeous. And it took me a long time with the help of some other people uh, to get it into the boat finally. And then I was engaged. Then I was excited because now I thought, you know what, I could, I could get another one. And I couldn't wait to put that back into the water. I ended up catching another smaller fish, probably something about that size. Um, I looked for the pictures, but I have no idea what happened. I think Erin threw them out because she was sick of me talking about my fishing exploits. Uh, but I was the only one that day of our entire team that was there on that trip that ended up catching anything that you could keep and we had the uh, we had the pleasure of actually eating the fish together as a team that night that's it that's my fishing story it's impressive huh yeah if you ever talk to someone that is an avid fisherman I've got friends that are avid fishermen I've got friends that do it Uh, professionally or at least used to do it professionally go out and enter uh, fishing tournaments and and things like that And, and there's one thing that they have in common they can take anything that you're talking about and they can relate it to fishing they can turn anything into a fishing story and most of the time the stories that they tell end up being absolutely perfect illustrations of what it was that you were just saying as we get into Matthew again after taking a few weeks off here Jesus is telling a fishing story, and we talked a few weeks ago about he's getting into this this period in the Gospels where he's teaching with parables. He's teaching with stories, using things that are familiar to the people, using things that the people are going to understand, that they're going to go, oh, that makes sense, and parables, if you remember, parables are stories that have a parallel meaning, another meaning. For those that are willing to hear it, For those that really want to invest and really want to dig a little bit, these are stories that don't just mean what they look like on the surface. There's a deeper spiritual meaning. And Jesus is using these parables to describe the kingdom of God, to describe that kingdom that he ushers in. And as we get back into Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a series of seven parables in this chapter. Three weeks ago, we looked at the very first one that he told, the parable of the sower. And when he tells the parable of the sower, he's talking about how the kingdom is going to really begin and how it's going to grow. And now, as he gets into his fishing story here at the end of chapter 13, he's kind of come full circle. And he's telling the end, what it's going to look like at the end. What it's going to look like when what the Bible is talking about, what the Bible has foretold, what the prophets talked about in the Old Testament. When all of that comes to fruition, here's what things are going to look like. And if you remember the setting, Jesus has gone off because he's exhausted. He's gone off trying to be by himself at a lake. And because his fame had spread, because the word of him was beginning to spread uh, throughout the area, all of a sudden there's a crowd of people. We're told that Jesus gets into a boat and he pushes out onto the sea and he begins to teach the people. And so that's the backdrop as we get into our verses uh, for today. Beginning with Verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, As you can see, this this is not a light fluffy passage um, there's some things that we're going to have to look at today that, that aren't necessarily pleasant and aren't necessarily easy to talk about but you have here a picture of judgment day you have here a picture of of the end of what we know life as we know it here on earth and we're told that there'll come a judgment as the angels are shorting those fish for everybody And this is something I think Christians can get a little bit confused about sometimes because I've heard Christians say, well, well, there's a day of judgment, there's a day that's coming, but it's not for Christians. And that's partially right. The Bible tells us that there is a day of judgment coming that will be for everyone. Now, the difference is for Christians, it's not a judgment unto condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The the issue of our guilt, the issue of our sin, has already been dealt with if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. There is the judgment that leads to condemnation for those apart from Christ. Uh, But listen to 2 Corinthians as Paul says what this is going to look like. For we must all, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or good or bad and so for the christian this day of judgment is a judgment unto reward all right again the issue of condemnation the issue of guilt has already been dealt with it's not that judgment but we will stand before the seat of christ and so that's what's being talked about here in this parable of the net it gives us a little bit of insight into what that day is going to look like and more insight into the kingdom of god the first thing that we see the kingdom of god is here now on earth and the kingdom of of god on earth is inclusive in that the kingdom of god here on earth includes all of us includes everybody we went fishing when i was a little kid this is one of the few times i remember fishing as a kid and it was my brother and my dad and my dad's dad and we went out fishing and they all caught fish i caught my normal usual no fish we had probably seven or eight fish all strung together and on a line that was down in the water in the lake and my grandpa I don't remember how old my grandpa was because when you're a kid they just seem old all the time Um, but he probably was only in his 50s maybe but he bent down he's always been very clumsy I remember this as a kid he bent down to grab those fish out of there and he stumbled when he unattached them and dropped the entire thing back into the water And I remember, honestly, I wasn't all that upset because none of them were mine. I do remember thinking that, too. But my brother was very upset because he'd caught a lot of them. And he saw something just for a second, something shiny in the water. And he took the net we had with us, and he threw that net into the water. And when he brought it up, all the fish were there. He he had caught all of the fish again with one net, all fish. All fish. The kingdom of God here on earth that's been established here on earth, this net that it's talking about includes all men. This is saints and sinners, believers and unbelievers. All of us are caught in this kingdom net. All of us are bound together in, in the fact that we share the honor of being image bearers. We all bear the image of the God that created us, whether we acknowledge that or not. Now in those days, there were different words that Jesus could have used for this net. They had words for smaller nets that fishermen would use from the shore. They would throw the net out and then pull it back in. And those smaller nets, they would catch you know, a relatively small amount of fish. Uh, when I was in Haiti one year we got to see a fisherman fishing like that it was kind of cool with a, with a smaller net actually it was at the retreat center uh, that Jim and April are going to be uh, affiliated with and we got to go down and actually help them pull the fish in but it was a relatively small amount of fish that that net would catch that's not the word that Jesus uses here the word that Jesus uses is where we get our idea and our word for for drag net. That idea of a net that is big, a net that is so large that you are going to throw it out and every single thing in the path of that net is going to be caught up in that, is going to be, uh, is going to all be, sorry, is going to all be in the same net. So it literally means, the Greek word there, it literally means dragging a net. It's an idea of a huge net meant to catch everything in its path. And so here at the beginning of the parable, you have the picture of our time on earth moving along like this dragnet, moving us or pulling us towards the end of day, pulling us towards that judgment. And all of us are involved, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. Jesus is affirming here what he taught a little bit earlier in this chapter. He taught about healthy plants and weeds and the fact that they were going to in the kingdom of God here on earth they were going to be growing right next to each other and he continues with that same idea here talking about both the unrighteous and the righteous being caught up in this dragnet until the day comes in both parables where the angels do the work of separating the angels as they're led by God as they're led by Christ do the work of separating the righteous and the unrighteous and just I think it's an interesting thing to note it's the angel's job to do the separating. It's the angel's job uh, to, to know and to decide who are the unrighteous and who are the righteous. It's not ours. I think too often as Christians, we make the decisions in our head, well, obviously that's one of those unrighteous ones, or, you know, and, and it's not our job. It's God's job alone, and it's through the work of these angels. It's the Lord's responsibility. And so with a dragnet, when the fish are caught up in it, it's large enough that the fish can still swim around. The fish don't even realize that they're caught up in this net until that net is tightened and then they understand the situation they're in. That's the reality that we find ourselves living in today. This this net is inclusive. This kingdom of God here on earth is inclusive. All of us are a part of it. Many people don't realize that they're a part of something bigger than just this life. Many people don't realize that they're created to experience eternity. And as we move further and further towards the last days, further and further towards everything that scripture lays out for us, There are many who will realize that situation too late and discover that while they've been living in God's kingdom here on earth, they've never accepted that offer to join the kingdom. So the net's cast across the earth. It's pulling us all towards the great day of the Lord. We're all caught in the net. But we have to realize, though, being in the net is not enough. The second thing we see in this parable here is that heaven's kingdom is exclusive heaven's kingdom is exclusive i went fishing a few years ago on on lake erie apparently i do have a few fishing stories um i went on lake erie and a buddy of mine took me out he had all the equipment he had uh, everything we needed He had a great boat we went out he was determined because at that point i still hadn't caught a fish ever in my whole life he was determined that that was going to change that was going to be the day that i was going to catch a fish and we went out and I ended up fishing for about a half hour and uh, this has never happened to me ever before in my life but the waves got me and I was sick as anything. I ended up just laying in the bottom of the boat which I'm not sure was the best thing to do Um, but you know, I got got called. I was out with seasoned fishermen. I got called all sorts of fun things and interesting names but as I watched them continue to fish, to me, every fish they caught looked exactly the same, every one. But somehow, they knew which ones to keep, which ones to hold on to, which ones to throw back immediately. They immediately knew which ones were good and which ones weren't. And Jesus says the same same thing is going to happen on the day of judgment. The angels at the Lord's bidding will begin to separate those who will remain in the kingdom, now the kingdom of heaven, from those who will be removed. And the reality is, Many will be cast away. In this day and age, this day of, of tolerance for everything, of, of inclusion of everything and everyone, um, this is not a popular teaching. And this is where some people then begin to have a problem with Christianity and teachings of Christianity. This is where Christianity becomes offensive to a lot of people. This is where Christians get called Narrow minded and bigoted, and all sorts of other things, and ask that question You mean to tell me that if I don't believe in your God, I'm not going to heaven? And as Christians, we don't like that question because as Christians, that makes us uncomfortable. And for some, they even begin to wonder, Well, yeah, maybe not. I mean, could there be other ways? Could there be something else that would get you to the same place that I'm going? And let me tell you something with certainty this morning. The truth of God, written in God's word, is that the kingdom of heaven is exclusive to the righteous. This is (laughs) narrow-minded. This is... I guess you could call it intolerant as well. But Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus didn't come to be an option among many others. Jesus came to be the way, the option, the solution. And you really, you you don't get much narrower than that. But it is the absolute teaching of Scripture that you cannot get around and to try to say anything different to try to make it anything that we're more comfortable with is to call God a liar and it's to reduce what Christ accomplished on the cross that once and for all sacrifice that forgiveness of sins through his blood that access to God through belief in Jesus his son to believe in any other truth is to reduce that to something that ultimately was unnecessary ultimately was meaningless, all because we want to be more comfortable. All because we want to be able to be more inclusive. But Jesus teaches here, again, very clearly, there will be separation. There will be a day of judgment where the righteous are separated from the unrighteous. Only the righteous, only those who live right, only those who have had their sin issue dealt with can enter God's kingdom. The one who is morally upright, without guilt or sin. The problem is, that's not necessarily good news on the surface for men. Paul tells us in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. The Bible clearly teaches that none of us can stand before God on our own. None of us can stand before God on the virtue and on the merit of our own works, on our own actions, on our own good deeds, and be counted as righteous. Because all of us have been born into sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 explains it this way. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We are born with a sin nature. And again, sometimes that's really hard to wrap our minds around. That beautiful little girl that I just held in my arms up here was born with a sin nature. No matter how sweet she looks, no matter how truly innocent she is, we're born into sin. We're born with this issue. We're born with this problem, and we all stand guilty before God, deserving of being tossed away like that bad fish. But God loves us. And because of the fact that he loves us, he provided a way, one way, for us to be counted as righteous in his sight, and that way is Jesus Christ. Romans continues in chapter 5, verse 18. Just as the result of one trespass with condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man many will be made righteous. The criteria for the kingdom is righteousness. Something we can't do on our own, something we can't earn on our own. But through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through his death and resurrection, for those that will bow the knee and accept him as their savior, scripture says we will be counted as righteous. We will be given the very righteousness of Christ. Philippians 3.9 says that we will be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so as this net pulls us all towards the final judgment there will be a day of separation there will be a day where those who are righteous those who are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and can stand in the presence of God they've accepted the forgiveness through Jesus their sins been washed away they'll be ushered into the kingdom of heaven and in the end the unrighteous will be separated look again going back to the fact that it's the angels that do the separating we can't always tell them apart it'd be so much easier if those that the bible says are unrighteous if they were just evil blatantly evil you could just see it you could tell and then those that were righteous I don't know glowed or something you know it's just easier I had twin uncles when I was a little kid Uh, when I was really young they were they were still in college and I could not tell these two apart I still struggle sometimes but I couldn't tell them apart at all and I remember as a kid, I just called them both Uncle John Joel because it was just easier. You just said them both, and you, just, you encompass both of them uh, with one name. They were the same on the outside. But if you got to know them, they were very different on the inside. And, and Scripture says we may look all right on the outside. We may look righteous on the outside. But that alone can't save us. When God does the separating, outer appearance won't matter. Simply living a good life, simply being a good person, isn't the criteria. Scripture says our acts of righteousness, our good deeds, are like filthy rags before God. God looks on the inside. And it's only that heart that's been changed through a relationship with Jesus that will be counted as righteous. Which leaves us to the last part of the story, and probably the most uncomfortable of all. Because if the righteous enter into the kingdom of heaven and the wicked are cast out the reality is there is only one alternative and the only alternative to the kingdom of heaven at the end of the day is hell again one of the hardest teachings in the bible but it's a reality that ought to change the way that we live it's a reality that ought to change the urgency with which we live our lives, with which we share the love of Jesus with everyone that we possibly can. The wicked are cast away, and Jesus says, they're thrown into the furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a reality. And hell is the destiny of those who have rejected the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I, I know some parents who don't like their kids to, to ever hear of anything that's bad or anything that's negative. And I, I had one teenager in my youth group years ago that was so sheltered. I remember her telling me anytime something would come on the news, back before all the internet stuff and people actually watched the news, if anything bad would come on the news while they were watching, her mom would actually tell her as a little kid that that was just make-believe. That make believe. wasn't really true, that nothing bad happened and nothing bad would ever happen to her. I think as Christians we can tend to do that to some degree with the idea of hell and the reality of hell. And We try to shield our, our kids from it. I had a family that left my last church because we taught that hell was a literal real place and she didn't want her kids to be exposed to that. But the reality is whether we choose to believe it or not, whether we choose to expose our kids to it or not, the reality is that the eternity that awaits those that leave this life apart from relationship with Jesus Christ is a literal place called hell. And again, if we choose to turn away from this truth, we're calling God a liar because his word very clearly teaches that this is a real place that was created for and is reserved for Satan and his demons, but is also the destiny of those who have chosen to align themselves With the prince of this world, with Satan. I don't have time to go into great detail to this, but I want to just give you a few quick points here, and you can look up the verses later. All right? This is the way that Scripture describes the reality of hell. It describes it in Mark 9 43 and Matthew 25 41 as a place of eternal fire. It describes it as a place in Luke 16, where you are conscious of your suffering. And again in Luke 16, where you are aware of the choice that you made. It describes it in Hebrews 9:27 as a place where there is no second chance. We're told in Matthew 7, a passage we looked at a couple years ago, that many will go there. It's that idea of "broad is the road that leads to destruction." We're told in Jude 13 and Matthew 25 that it's a place of darkness and solitude. And we're told in Revelation 9 verses 10 and 11 that it's a place with no rest, no relief. And finally in 2 Thessalonians we're told that it's a place of complete separation from God. Where God has withdrawn his presence. And honestly I think as terrible as all that sounds, As much, I mean, you got to believe me, I don't like standing up here and teaching about this. But I think that last one is the worst. I think eternal separation from the presence of God is the worst. I don't think we understand it. I don't think we can even grasp or comprehend. If God were to withdraw his presence completely from this world, even for the blink of an eye, I don't think any of us would be able to wrap our minds around what that would look like. We may complain and there's times where we think, well, where is God? And God's not here and God's not involved with this and why isn't he doing this? But God's presence here in earth, on earth, in our lives, among the church, is the only thing that sustains us. Bye, Ella. She heard I called her a sinner and she's upset sorry. She and I I can talk about that later. God has allowed a taste of his presence even to those that don't know him. To all his creation, he's extended that presence and we're taught and we're told that once they begin eternity, they will be robbed of that presence completely. And again, the removal of God's presence on those who are condemned, to me, is the worst part of this teaching. I've talked to people that say that a loving God wouldn't have created hell. But if you look at the totality of the nature of God, the totality of who God is, each part being a necessary part of, of who He is in His nature, God is a just God. Because God is a just God, it means there needs to be payment for wrongs, payments for sin, There can't be a God who has an absolute set of morals, who gives a blueprint to his creation of how to live those morals out, and then imposes no penalty on those who choose their own way. He'd cease to be God at that point. I had a conversation with a man who was searching uh, in my church in Corning, and I remember him talking about hell. That was his sticking point. How could God allow anyone to go to hell. No one deserves that. And I remember when he said that, just thinking and saying to him, I think you're looking at it completely the wrong way. No one deserves heaven. Our eternity, our our destiny, what we do deserve because of the issue of sin, because we've all turned our backs on God, what we all deserve is hell. But because God loves us, He gives us that opportunity to have that issue of sin dealt with through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He gives us that opportunity to spend the rest of our eternity with Him. The reality is, God is a good God, but He's also a God of wrath and judgment because He's a just God and because He's a holy God. But those aspects of His character are driven by a deep love for his creation. And several times throughout the Bible, we're told that it's God's desire that none would perish. It's God's desire that that none would pass from this life without knowing him, without coming into a relationship with him, that all would come to repentance. But we get to make the choice. Matthew 23 gives us this picture. Matthew 23, 37 and 38 it says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings, but you were not willing. Have you ever tried to hold a kid that doesn't want to be held? I remember with Catherine especially, I would try to pick Catherine up when she was two, three years old, and I just wanted to snuggle. I just wanted to spend you know, a little bit of time with my beautiful baby girl. And if she was either mad at me for something, or she wanted to get down and play, or she had something else in her mind that she wanted to do, she would just wriggle as much as she could until she finally would just let her body go completely limp. And you just, you couldn't hold her anymore. As much as I wanted to hold her, I had no choice but to put her down. Scripture says Jesus longs to gather all of us up in his arms. But so many aren't willing. So many, like the little child, want to go off and do their own thing instead of resting in the strength and security of his arms. He loves us and he lets us make the choice. But Scripture is so clear in so many places that he stands waiting to gather those up that run to him instead of going their own way. And so this parable, the net here, it teaches us about the way that things are going to end. It teaches us about the end of time. It forces us to wrestle with some things that we probably don't want to wrestle with. It shows us that that kingdom net, it catches everyone. All of us. Again, saints and sinners. No one escapes that net that's pushing us towards the end of time. It teaches us that only the righteous will be kept in the kingdom of heaven when the angels come and separate the fish. And it teaches us the reality that the only alternative to God's kingdom is called hell. But thank God that we can know for sure what our eternity is. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who have come to that part in our lives where we say, you know what, I can't do this by myself. I I don't want to do this alone anymore. And we've accepted the forgiveness that he offers We have the guarantee of Scripture that we've been given the promise of eternity. We've been given the promise of a hope in Christ and a life with Christ. A life that doesn't end in a very real and literal place just as hell is a real and literal place, a real and literal place called heaven. The Bible says whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, that one way, that only way, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. If you're here today and you haven't made that decision in your life, if you can't honestly say, I don't know what would happen. If my life were to end today, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know what reality would be mine. I would love to talk to you. Don't leave this place with missing the opportunity to have Christ change and transform your life change and transform your eternity and where it is that you'll spend that so if that's you again i would love to talk to you after the service i would love just come up and say hey you got a second would you pray with me heavenly father as always i thank you because even hard stuff the hard teaching. I don't have to stand up here and give my opinion on things. I can stand up here in the power of the Spirit and on the rock of your word. And Lord, none of us likes this reality. None of us likes the idea of hell, the thought of hell. But Lord, I pray that you would use that to change the way that we live our lives. That we would live our lives, not just in the reality of heaven, thinking, I want to live this way because someday I get to be with God, but we would live our lives in the reality of hell, knowing that those who do not have a relationship with you will share that destiny. Lord, light a fire in this place. Give us a sense of urgency to take your message to a lost and dying world. No matter how intolerant or narrow-minded it might sound, Because, Lord, here we believe that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And we believe that no one comes to you. There is no relationship with you apart from him. So again, Lord, we thank you for what passages like this do reveal. Even amongst the hard things and the hard teachings, we see a heart of love. We see the heart of a father who who longs for his children to turn back to him. And so, Lord, for that, we thank you. In Christ's name.